0: Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondrachek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Well, hey, welcome back to our series for the summer dedicated to the letter of Colossians. Uh, we are going to pick up actually right where Pastor Dan Eisner left off last week. Um, the last couple verses that, that Dan uh, read from when, when he was here joining us last week um, is, is um, he was talking about kind of these, these slick guys that were coming into town, um, that were coming into town and... Um, and, and for some people, they were seeing what these, what these other teachers were, were bringing, and they were saying, oh, well, maybe it's like a different kind of flavor of Christianity or flavor of what, you know, what have you. But, but Paul, um, as we're going to see, he gets into it, and he's like, no, 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 these are, not, these are not just like good speakers. This isn't like a different, like a slight variation or a little different flavor of, of what, what I'm trying to teach you and what the other apostles are trying to teach you. He's saying like, no, these guys are, they're liars. You, don't listen to them. They're, they're the best kind of liars, too, Frankly, because the, the best lies are the ones that are um, that have a kernel of truth right they're plausible those are the best plausible lies are the are the, the, the best lies in terms of being able to, to get people to kind of come along with it and so uh, what he's going to do is as we read we're going to start in Colossians 220 um, and then we're going to cross over into chapter three a little bit as well today um, is that for one Paul's going to kind of call out uh, what these guys are teaching and, and what's wrong with it, um, but then he's also, like, that's kind of the defensive side, then he's going to go on the offensive, and he's going to remind them, like, hey, this is your identity, this is who you are, so that when you hear these things, these false things, um, that you know what's true, and you'll be able to judge things and, and even, you know, judge these teachers to know whether they're, whether they're right or wrong, whether they're full of it, uh, or, or they're being truthful. And so here's how it, here's how it starts uh, in, in Colossians 2.20. He says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings, okay? So so in other words, don't let these plausible arguments and these man-made traditions uh, and and religious traditions and and kind of ways of doing things, don't allow them to trump the actual word of God. So he says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. We're gonna stop there, and that last line is what, gonna be what we kind of focus most on here, because Paul is, is going to be, get, he's getting into and he's gonna continue with his um, behavior management over grace routine, which he is, is really good at. Uh, uh, Paul, if, Paul is just, he's an ambassador of the gospel, he's an ambassador of, of grace, of salvation by grace, and, and so um, he's gonna get into this a little bit, and that last line, about all these kind of rituals and traditions and self-improvement tactics. He says they, they ultimately lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence, um, which, in other words, kind of means uh, works righteousness. It's a losing game, okay? It's a get, you wanna, if you want to play it, it might look attractive, but everybody loses in works righteousness. Now, here's, here's what I mean by that. Just kind of uh, pull that apart a little bit more here. Um, play along with me here. Say, for instance, uh, you're imperfect. <laughs> okay, so we're all going to be imperfect, so we're all going to have the same starting point here. So, so as imperfect people, uh, when you manage your behavior, when you try to manage your behavior uh, under your own strength, rather than relying on Christ to be the one that 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 presses you into that mold, allowing God to press you into the mold to make you Christ-like, and in so doing, help you to see the, your need for a Savior. So as opposed to that, just kind of taking behavior management as your religion and just making it all about what you can accomplish under your own strength and your own abilities and your own will and your own discipline, okay? When, when you do that— um, you may, f- you, you, you will probably have some success in eliminating bad habits. You may be able to change some of the sinful patterns in your life simply by your own, uh, by your own strength. But what happens when you conquer a pattern of sin in your life is that the power uh, that helps you conquer that sin, it becomes your savior. When, when you conquer a pattern of sin in your life, what, what helped you becomes your savior. So you might say, well, who cares, right? Like if I'm greedy and I get over being greedy with God's help or my own help, who cares? Like the outcome is that I'm not greedy, right? Or or what have you. Well, the point is that when we try to do this ourselves, we become the savior of ourselves Rather than taking the path that God intends us to lead to, lead through, in which He impresses us into the into the mold of Christ, and we discover our need for a Savior, what we've only what we've done we've not we've not in any way, as Paul says, like restrained sensual uh, desires or sin or anything like that. We've just kind of transferred how the sin comes out in our life. So rather than doing these things, we have now just become more. And we've made ourselves more and more of this idle Savior who believes that we can somehow do what only God can do it's so it's kind of like if someone's like has a you know is addicted to alcohol or drugs or something like that and they help kick their habit by taking up gambling in its place it's like you're not you're still you're still an addict like you you haven't it's just expressing itself in a different way and that's what happens when we try to just when we try to reduce religion and faith and, and christianity as a whole to just being behavior management like, I'm just going to try to make myself better. But in so doing, we actually become more and more of our own savior, more and more of our own kind of, uh, of our own idols of the making. So instead, Paul tells them to first remember who they are. Remember that they have, have died with Christ and, he, and he's been talking about this for the whole letter at this point, right? But you have died with Christ, so you've died to these sinful desires, but, but death to sin is not the end. That, that death to sin precedes life with Christ, and so that's where, where he goes next, okay? So Colossians 3.1, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. And we are gonna stop there because what you just read is such a big deal. Colossians 3.1 is a really, Big deal to understand how to to engage with, with Colossians, okay? Now, other translations, other English translations will make this a little bit more obvious than, than the NIV. That's what we use here. That's what's in the, 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 the Bibles under your seats. Um, NIV isn't quite as clear, um, but what we have here is a transition moment. Because up to this point, Paul's been telling about who Jesus is, he's been, you know, whole chapter one is this great Christology, this understanding of, of who the person uh, of Christ is, how his work has, has intersected with humanity and, 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 what his, his death and resurrection mean for us, and so, so basically up to this point, everything that, that Paul has said is, is universally applied. Uh, meaning that even if you don't believe, those things are still true. Uh, you don't have to believe in God and that doesn't make God not, not real. You don't have to believe in Christ and, and that doesn't make Jesus uh, not real. They are are universal statements that apply to all people, um, though not everyone not everyone would would believe it. Um, but now with 3-1, with, with Colossians 3-1, you get a conditional statement. It's no longer this universal, here's something that's true for all people, here's something that can be applied to all people, but here is a conditional statement, okay? Now, other translations, um, if you read other translations, a lot of them say, if you have been raised with Christ, which just sounds even more transitional. Uh, But basically, what comes next is for those who have been raised with Christ. And this is important to understand, like, any time, for, for now on, for the rest of your life, when you read Colossians, um, especially if you're just, like, you know, diving in for one verse or a couple verses or a story here and there, you need, like, you gotta know what side of 3-1 you're on, okay? Because And luckily, it's right in the middle. There's four chapters, so it's just smack dab in the middle, right? But you, you gotta know which side of this conditional statement you're on in order to, to kind of best interpret and apply uh, whatever it is that, that Paul is saying. So um, here's why here's why that's important. Two reasons in particular. Um, What he is going to get into, what comes next after 3-1, is is, again, conditional statements. Um, He's gonna comment more on on behavior and, and and how we actually live out our lives, not just who Christ is, but but how we how we live out our lives as Christians. But Here's the thing. Because it's a conditional statement, this this means two things. For one, that these commands that come next, anything we talk about, uh, these commands that come next, they are for those who have been raised with Christ. They're for Christians. It means that just as it was the case for for their Jewish ancestors, and just as the case that, that Paul talks about commonly, that we don't just go apply Christian ethics and morals onto people who aren't Christian. It doesn't make any sense. You, you, someone who's not a Christian doesn't have kind of the core that feeds our ethics and our morality. So he's saying you can't just apply these things to other Christians or, or to non-Christians and judge them because they're not acting like they're a Christian, because guess what? They're, they're not. Uh, but here's this, the, the other reason, an even bigger reason, which he kind of follows this thread as we go along, which is that if you think that what comes next are universal statements— then what you end up with is a, a, a works-based theology of salvation. You're going to end up with this idea that it's Jesus and. Jesus and what you, what you do. It's not, your, it's not that you're saved by grace. You're saved by, by all these things that you do, by living a, a, a moral and ethical ethical life. So again, you've got to know which side of this text you're on. So, the only way to understand the rest of this letter, consequently because of all of this, the only way to understand the rest of the letter is to understand yourself. Have you been raised with Christ? If you have, this letter is for you. Like, keep reading. He's talking to you. If you have not been raised with Christ, close your Bible, don't look at secret knowledge. No, that's not true. But it's not necessarily applied to you. It's not, he's not talking to you, or at least not yet, not yet. Now, thankfully with Jesus, we don't have to to perform a bunch of guesswork uh, guesswork from scripture um, to understand, uh, have I been raised with Christ? Like, am I a Christian or not? Um, I think sometimes we take for granted, especially those of us who have been in churches for a long time, that the answer to what makes a Christian is a very difficult question if you don't have someone to help you. Like, someone to talk through it with you. Um, and so, how do we, how do you know, right? How do you know, is this for me, am I a Christian, am I, you know, what have you? Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask everybody these, these two questions. And, um, and I just want you to know, too, these two questions, these are not, like, my two questions that I created. I am ripping off. About 2,000 years of Orthodox tradition and, and what other people have said, people way smarter than me, okay? So, so these are two questions that really get to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Are you, have you been raised with Christ or have you not? If you can answer yes to both of these questions, then yeah, you've been, you've been raised with Christ. If you can't answer yes to both of these questions, well then, you, you've not been raised with Christ. So, so here's what they are. First one is this. Do you believe you, you are a sinner against God? If you do, great first step, okay? One out of two, we're good to go. Um, If you don't, you're not a Christian, uh, which I know, like, Talk about like in our current sen- like current cultural sensibility, like saying that it sounds like i 'm an absolute jerk, okay, so before you send me an email uh, telling me that I am, let me just tell you what I will send back i 'll send back to you first John one eight if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us okay, so sin breaks relationships with between us and God uh, as as Paul already said in Colossians, it makes us enemies. Of God. And so before we can ever acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, we, we have to acknowledge that we need something to be saved from. Before you can ever receive the forgiveness that God offers you, like you have to like receiving forgiveness implies you're admitting guilt. You can't receive forgiveness as a as an innocent person. And so it starts with, the, it starts with this, this acknowledgement that, again, we, we aren't perfect and that we're in need of a Savior. Now, here's the second question. Do you believe Jesus is God in the flesh, whose death paid the debt of your sin? When Jesus died and rose again, two things occurred, okay? You, you receive God's uh, righteousness, and he forgives your sins. So that, that means that, that you receive his blessing, but also he forgives. He takes on the curse, okay? You, you get the cure, but he takes upon himself the disease or, or the, the, the poison, okay? So if you can answer yes to both of these questions, one and two, then yeah, you have been raised with Christ through faith. Now, I wanna be clear that if you haven't, if you can't say yes to both of these questions, first of all, first off, you are in a great place to answer no. Okay, of all the places, being in a church to answer no is is great. This is not a place, this is not a museum of saints here at Rosewood. Uh, This is not where where just religious people come to here and do religious things. Um, This is and can be a place for people who say no to this. After all, every one of us here, at the very least at some point, said no to all these questions. So this is a place where we can grow, we can learn, we can consider these things. So if your answer is no... That's okay. Again, you're in a good place. That also doesn't mean that because you're not a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're incapable of good and kindness. You're not a demon, okay? You're probably a very wonderful person. Because that's the, you know, that, so, so that's not what we're implying. I'm just saying that according to 2,000 years of orthodox, consistent teaching and to the witness of Scripture— that this is, kind of, this is what it takes, this is kind of the, the irreducible minimum, if you will, the irreducible minimum of what it means to be a Christian. I don't know how you get it any any less than this, and I also think that if you get it any more than this, you just kind of have to start adding works into, you have to start adding Jesus and uh, in, into the, the equation of what it means uh, to be to be a Christian. So these are the two most important questions that any person can answer in, in their life, and and i don't <laughs> I don't need you to answer them for me this isn't about me I, you you have to you have to answer this for for yourself and, um, and in fact if you if you have never answered yes to to one or both of these questions um, at the end of or at the end of this message i'm going to pray and i'm going to pray for for everybody but i'm also going to pray for you and I would encourage you to help uh, to to kind of make this if this is the first time you're doing it or maybe it's just something's clicking or you' you've been in churches for years, but it's finally like oh okay that's Like, this is what it means. I invite you to pray along with me in your heart to pray your whatever words that, that you can you can pray the words that I pray you can pray the words that kind of come to your heart uh, whatever it might be but we'll kind of have that opportunity for you at the end of uh, at the end of service and if you pray that prayer and it's the first time you said yes whether you're online or whether you're here in person please don't just like pack up and leave um, I will still get you out to lunch in time trust me but please just take a moment come up I'd love to talk with you I'd love to meet you uh, because it's the beginning of a journey and not the, not the end, right? Um, if you're online, uh, you know, all the staff emails are, are on, the, um, uh, on the website. Please just, just shoot me a message before you turn off your TV or, or put your phone in your pocket, okay? So, um, all right, we're not even done. We, we've, we've finished halfway through a sentence. We should at least finish the sentence, right? Okay, so Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Here's how we're going to kind of finish up today. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. So there's that conditional statement. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, what does it mean then to, to set our hearts on things above? Okay, well, it means a lot. But in the context of Colossians and what Paul is kind of getting at here, here, here's one way that we could think about it, is that a renewed life brings renewed focus, okay? So the Apostle Peter, his little snafu, his little water-walking snafu is a perfect kind of picture of, of what it means to have a renewed focus, what it means to lose that focus, and, and ultimately what it, what it takes to kind of maintain that, that focus. so, so, Peter, Peter uh, Jesus comes up to the boat. He, they're all in a boat, and, and Jesus comes up walking on the water and, and, and calls them out of the boat, and Peter gets out of the boat, and, and, and in Matthew 4, uh, 14, rather, um, verse 30, he says, he says, when, we saw the, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me, okay? God calls us to set our hearts and minds on things above, which which is really kind of to to refocus our attention on on the the um, to refocus our greatest affections on Christ, um, on the person, nature, and things of Jesus. Uh, but that that perspective that we have, that perspective to to, to God in heaven, like that's always going to be at odds with, 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 with things that want to kind of bring our perspective down uh, out of the clouds, out of heaven, and and bring it down on, onto earth. And so, so a renewed life with a renewed focus. Now, I think sometimes we can misconstrue what a renewed focus uh, looks like in our life. Um, Not that there's one way, and I actually think it might be a little bit of a mixture of these things, but, but if you think about, like, things that help us focus, there's really, like, two ways to two broad ways to to focus. Um, One is like with a horse with blinders, right? Have you ever seen those? I never, like, I didn't grow up with horses. I didn't realize this. That's like to, to, to make it so they don't look at anything else, right? It's like when you're a kid and you're taking a test and you got a thing around you to make sure you don't look around anywhere or have people look at you. But it's just to to focus their attention, so they can't see what's going on right or left, right? They can only see what's in front of you. So if you're gonna you're gonna live life with blinders, um, what's important is that you're looking at the right thing, right? And uh, uh, so so it's like okay, all these other things, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep them away. And Paul's gonna get into actually kind of a a blinder perspective um, in the coming verse uh, or in the uh, next week rather. Um, but then there's there's a second way, and and I think this is this is. This is a way that, that really kind of helps us to engage with the world a, a, a in a better way. Um, a, renewed focus brings, a, re, a renewed life brings renewed focus in the way that we, like, wear glasses or contacts, right? Like, if you have glasses on or contacts right now, uh, the first thing you're seeing is your lens, right? Like, you see me, you see, you see things in this room, but everything you see is, is through the lens, right? You see the lens, the lens first. So sometimes when we when we adopt this kind of blinder mindset instead of a of a lens mindset, and you maybe have met people like this, maybe you're like this, um, but the the blinder mindset says, okay, I'm a Christian, so that means I have to have like. I have to work in a church or a non-profit. I have to have only Christian friends. I have to only listen to Christian music and only watch Christian shows and only watch Christian movies and, and uh, only have, uh, you know, again, Christian friends, uh, Christian hobbies, right? Like Like, it's just like, Only this subculture of Christianity can can I possibly exist in because I'm going to keep these blinders up so I can't see anything else, which is a way of doing it. However, when we look at, at life through this renewed lens, this renewed focus through a new lens, what we do is we see the things all around us. We continue to see the things around us, but we see them with a redemptive lens, with a restorative lens, with a resurrection lens. So we're no longer blinding ourselves to the things that, t- to the people that God loves, that God came and, and, and tied for, but we'd rather see the world around us, and we see with fresh eyes, with a renewed heart, to say, God put these people, God put these places, God put these circumstances in my life So that there could be a resurrection, a redemptive outcome. And when you have this lens, this renewed lens to see the world in that way, you will see those things happen. The world becomes less of this is bad and evil and this is good, but rather, you know what? There is goodness and beauty all around me. And also the world has been impacted by sin and nothing and no one is perfect. And so we have this opportunity with a renewed focus to be an ambassador between these, these two worlds and to bring the gospel into the places where, 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 into the places that we see in our life that we have the eyes to be able to understand. So again, I'm gonna pray and um, and I'm gonna just kind of, pray for everybody the, the best I can, right? So I'm going to pray for, for renewed focus for us, but again, I'm also going to pray for, for anybody who, who's wishing to say yes, who really, really kind of feels that for the first time in your life, that yes, I, I believe, I believe those things to be true. So let me pray for you. Jesus, we come to you with, um, with humility before your word, God, that, uh, that every, every opportunity we have, you, you are there to, to teach us and to guide us. And so, Jesus, I, I pray that um, as a congregation, that, we would, that you would give us renewed focus, to be able to see this world the way you saw it, God, to be able to, to, to see people the way that you see them. Jesus, you were, you were so obsessed with, with seeing lost people and seeing people that the, that the rest of the, the, the religious authorities were like, no, 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 don't go there. They, they mocked you by calling you a friend of sinners. God, help us to be a friend of sinners. Help us to, to be so enamored with you that we come to see this world through a redemptive lens. And God, I also pray along with any person who, who has not yet taken that step. Somebody here who's, who's maybe gone to church for, for a really long time, who's got a lot of this head knowledge and understands certain things, who can play out the general storyline of the Bible, but God who, who ultimately perhaps has not said yes to Jesus, to you, God. And so, God, we, we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have, have stood against you, that we are far from perfect, And that we can't possibly, like, stand up to your goodness and your holiness. And God, because of of that label, of that label of of sinner, that heavy label, we have been separated from you. And under our own strength, there's nothing that we can do to, to possibly bridge that gap. But God, you sent your son. And through faith, Jesus, we can be made whole that the the brokenness that occurred due to sin is mended through your death and resurrection. And in so doing, you bring us into fresh life, new life, new life with a renewed focus. So God, I, I pledge those things to be true. I wish for you to be my Savior, my God. And Jesus... We won't get it all right, but to the best of our ability, we will live in accordance with what you have for us in order to love this world and to bring the redemptive hope to this world that is so thirsty for. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.